Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and uh, as always, we've got a great show for you tonight. This uh, Thursday, March 29th, uh, is going to be the last show, of course, for March, and uh, hard to believe we're going to be moving into April next week. Uh, It seems like this uh, 2018 season seems to be just flying right by, but uh, glad you can join us tonight. We've got a great uh, show for you. We're going to be starting off with a a special Coach's Corner panel uh, with a a solo professional, Monty Scheinblum. He's going to be joining me here in just a, a moment or two. Uh, and then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by uh, my very special guest. There's going to be two of them on tonight. Brett Cohn, of course, you're all familiar with, the golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 uh, authority. And he's also the uh, founder of the New York Golf Fitness Guru. And he's going to be joined by a good uh, friend of his, uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Kern. He's a uh, chiropractor, and he's with the uh, Axon Health Associates up in New York as well. And he's going to be joining us. We've got a great discussion on the second half. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, For those of you on Central Time, that's uh, 7 to 9 on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those of you out uh, west in California or Pacific Time. Um, Best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com. And under the search key, just type Golf Talk Live or just add forward slash Golf Talk Live, and that will bring you to the main page. And, of course, as I said, we are live Thursday evenings. Uh, but for some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry. Just visit that link, scroll down to the on-demand section, and of course, all of the shows uh, are auto-recorded as we uh, air live. And uh, you can always scroll down to the on-demand section and listen to them whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, or you can go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now TuneIn.com, and under the podcast section again, just type in Golf Talk Live. So there's lots of great ways to connect with the show. Uh, if you want to find out who's going to be on the show then you need to follow uh, here in a couple of areas. And uh, I've got a couple of Facebook pages. Of course, my uh, personal page, Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O is the correct spelling of my last name. Uh, you can check on my, my homepage there on Facebook or uh, under the uh, company page, which is Golf Talk Live blog. Uh, that also will tell you who's going to be on the show each and every week. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO in capital letters. And of course, um, Thank you to all of the uh, new uh, followers on Twitter. Uh, or you can also uh, get up with the show on LinkedIn, linkedin.com. And again, just under my personal page, uh, Ted Odorico, and you can find me there. And, and under my posts and activity, you'll see all kinds of good information about the show as well. So uh, lots of ways to, to connect. Um, and speaking of connecting, let me bring up my, uh, my very special guest here. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Monty Scheinblum is going to be joining me on the Coach's Quarter panel tonight. We're going to have a special panel discussion. Uh, he's the son of a Major League Baseball player. And Monty himself actually uh, was trying to aspire to, to follow in his father's footsteps. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, developed a major uh, elbow injury and, and through some reconstruction at about age 15, forced him to give up that dream of, of baseball. But he decided to switch uh, 
gears, if you will, and uh, developed a new passion for golf. Um, so we're glad he's done that. Uh, he had obviously had some early success in the game and eventually led him to UCLA, where he played golf for the Bruins before uh, turning professional. And in 1992, he was the world uh, long drive champion and uh, was runner-up twice. And he was also a trick shot to exhibitionist. Excuse me. We'll talk to him a little bit about that as well along the way. Uh, and then, of course, he became a full-time professional uh, tournament player with, uh, of course, goals of uh, playing on the PGA and subsequently the Champions Tour. So uh, without further ado, let me bring on my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, Monty Scheinbloom. Monty, good evening. Uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm always glad to have you on the show. And uh, I know we were talking uh, just a little bit uh, off air, just a moment or two before we went live, and uh, we were talking about something which I'm going to ask you about now. Um, when you were last on the show, you were going through the process of going through Q School for the Champions Tour, and you had actually at that point, I believe, made it into the finals. Um, what's the update there? Uh, what, what's happened since then? It's been a bit of a, of a roller coaster. I, you know, I, I did, in fact, make the finals of the Q School, and a few days before I was leaving for Florida, uh, I was uh, <laughs> doing something I shouldn't have been. I was, I was playing uh, soccer with my son. At, I have a nine-year-old son at a oh. soccer practice. And just kicking the ball around with the kids, not doing anything too dumb. Well, at least I didn't think it was. Right. And uh, I badly <laughs> tore the meniscus uh, in my right knee. And, you know, I got my oh. knee drained and scored his own shot and went down to the finals and gave it a shot. But it, it wasn't too uh, – <laughs> I didn't play very well. And, and I basically spent um, all, of two, all of last year uh, having surgery and rehabbing it and uh, – trying to get back to 100 percent right uh so yeah i mean that 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 was kind of a bummer and you know a little bit my own fault obviously you know even though it was a little bit unfortunate but i'll it's one of those life lessons that you you know better next time (laughs) yeah it's um i I, it kind of reminds me now i was trying to think who this was back a few years ago and uh one of the young guns on the pga tour um decided that he was going to do some downhill skiing uh, before a tournament, he was over overseas. I think it was one of the European players, and he ended up breaking something. I don't know if it was his hand or, or what have you. And uh, he said this very same thing. He says, "You know, you you live, you know, you're young only once in your life, and you want to go out and have fun." But uh, he says it probably wasn't the best uh, smart thing for me to do at the time in hindsight. But uh, you know, nevertheless, he's back out touring. I wish I could remember who that player was, but uh, maybe it'll come to me as the show progresses. But um, it, very unfortunate. Uh, I, I hate that for you. You know, you, you worked so hard to, to get where you did. And, and uh, I know that you'll, uh, I'm assuming you're going to give it another shot when you feel hundred percent. Oh yeah. You know, I, it, it, it's, it's funny. This, this is actually pertinent to this, to the discussion on the swing is before I completely wrecked it, there was probably some damage there to begin with. And I right. had built a swing about not having much range of motion in my right knee, my trail knee. And, yep. you know, I, that swing worked. Well, after having the surgery and rehabbing it, I actually have better range of motion in the surgically repaired knee that I have in my left knee, the front knee. And now my body works differently. My hips rotate better. Um, I can put more pressure you know, on the trail toes as I'm coming into impact. So now right. my swing works completely differently. 
and you know there are pluses and minuses. So, you know, even a positive, and the reason why this is pertinent is you see someone like um, David Duval. You know, he was the number right. one player in the world. He got in a significantly better physical condition, but then his swing didn't work the same anymore, and he kind of lost it. And, um, you know, there are a lot of proponents that say that a lot of Tiger's problems with his swing are the result of getting, you know, too big in the upper body. You know, I I don't try to get into those debates, but just bringing it up. And, you know, that's why, you know, little small things that change in your body. um, I know a lot of students that I've had have had large weight losses. You know, they've gone from 250 pounds to 200 pounds and they were like a right. five handicap 50 and now they're 200 pounds and they, they can't break 80 anymore. So you have yeah. to be aware that you have a physical change that your swing is going to change whether you want it to or not. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great point, uh, Monty. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I've, I've noticed that as well. I mean, even in my own game, um, you know, I was always a, a kind of a lightweight. I'm six foot four, so I got a lot of height. And, um, you know, I was always a pretty light guy. I was well, you know, probably between 175 and 200 for uh, a long, long time. And now I'm, I'm upwards of about 225 to 230. Uh, I'm still certainly not large by any means uh, because my height balances me out. But your joints are not, you know, if, you're, if you've been at a certain weight for a long time and then suddenly you add on, you know, 20, 30, even 40 pounds to what you normally are, you feel it in a lot of your joints. So you, it takes away a little bit of the mobility. So I'm trying to whittle my way back down a little bit to, to bring some of that back. But you're, you're exactly right in, in your analogy is, is you can literally change the way you play um, with something even as simple as, as either losing or gaining a few pounds. Uh, either way, it's amazing how much that oh, yeah. can, can affect it. See, that, that's been a part um, of the deal as well. Is, you know, while I was sitting on my behind for six months, you know, <laughs> healing and rehab, I put on 25 pounds. So then right. that was, you know, an extra 25 pounds. And then since then, I've taken off 15 of that 25. So physically, I'm yeah. kind of going back and forth. And, you know, not really trying to rebuild my swing so much as, just trying to find a, you know, a, a baseline to work off of because of so many physical changes. And people will tend to discount that, and y- you really can't. Any, any kind of physical change like that is going to completely change the way you move the golf club. Well, yeah, yeah and you're exactly right. And, you know, just another um, – to, to add a little bit more fuel to the fire – you know, we see a lot, especially, and, and again, more so with the men, as, as men get a little bit older, as we start to age and, and get above that, that 50 mark, you know, we start to put a lot of uh, extra weight in around our midsection is where most men carry a lot of it. And that can right. affect a lot of things with, with posture and things like that as well. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you start to see a lot of the, the older uh, generations, and, and there's other factors obviously involved, and we don't need to get into all of them, but um, you start to see a little more slumping in the shoulders, a rounded shoulders look. Um, you know, they're, instead of having that nice sort of uh, vertical uh, back, it, it's now, you know, sort of a curve, if you will, um, just because their posture is no longer 
uh, you know, able to, to hold as well because they're carrying that extra weight. It's, it's uncomfortable. So they, they become more relaxed. So there's a lot of physical changes that can certainly affect that. And there's things obviously that you can do to, to, to help and with some good exercise and things like that. But uh, you're exactly right. It's amazing what, uh, what can change. Even sometimes the, even the minute difference in, in how you physically um, change can actually have big uh, changes on the golf course. And, and uh, so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. To, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I mean, go ahead. Finish your point. Cause go ahead. Go ahead say, I'm sorry. Say what you're going to say. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that, you know, great that you're, you're obviously recognizing that, um, you know, you've already had an injury that you've had to overcome, but also you've noticed that with that extra weight on, it also made some other changes that you're now going to have to address. And, 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 uh, that, you know, that's all I was really going to add to it, but, um, uh, oh, go yeah. ahead and, and uh, go with your thought. Oh, no. And this, this, you know, that's why these discussions are so great is because one point leads to the next. And this right. discussion leads to an additional point why you have to be extremely careful what you teach young you know, nine, 10, 12, 15 year old golfers, because right. if you start to pitchhole them into movement X, because you, that's yes. your preference golf swing, their body a year from now is going to be completely different. They're going to get taller. They're going to get physically stronger and move X mm-hmm. might work for them now and might be a complete disaster if they grow six inches and put on 20 pounds. So whenever I teach your golfers, I'm extremely careful about not being too dogmatic in, in my approach to, to, to their swings. You know, I kind of try to make sure that, you know, they, they're not too funky with anything and that they swing in balance and that they learn to create speed. But you know, I'm I'm not picky about swing plane or because you know a lot of kids, you know, especially the real thin ones, and especially yep. teenage girls, don't have a lot of upper body strength, so they will early extend badly to create speed, and mm-hmm. generally speaking, early extension, especially severe, isn't real, you know, something you really want. But if you teach that out of them, you might be robbing them of some speed, and it's likely something that right. they will gradually lose on their own as they get bigger and stronger. So, you know, it, it, you're walking a fine line when you're teaching those kids during their their growing phase, and uh, and and you just got to be really really careful that you're not. You know, there's the Tiger Woods who developed his swing when he's five years old and was pretty much the same swing all through his mm-hmm. teenage years at Butch Harmon until he switched to Haney. But that's the exception rather than the rule. Right. You see most kids, their swings change significantly, even over a two- or three-year period. Right, right, exactly. And I think there's something else, too, and, and you're, it's a great point that you raise up because I think as, as golf professionals, I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is um, sort of pigeonholing everybody into – uh, one theory or one methodology, because, you know, we're all uniquely different as individuals um, and our body styles, our body types. And just because I'm six foot four and 
this person over here might be, you know, six foot four or six foot three doesn't necessarily mean the swing is going to be exactly the same for us because there could be a lot of other factors involved. So I think we have to be careful and mindful of that. And I think also, too, you know, Monty, something else that, you know, as you were pointing out, you know, teaching some of the youngsters, there's a lot of changes that happens um, from coordination, as an example. The younger uh, kids, whether it's male or female, uh, lack a certain amount of coordination. They haven't developed uh, some of their little muscles yet that give them that sort of comp, uh, you know, that's why you see, you know, toddlers will sort of stagger back and forth. They haven't really uh, mastered certain coordination movements yet. And then once they get into their teenage years and, and, you know, maybe early 20s, they've developed that. Now they're starting to put on mass. And uh, again, a whole new changes. And then as we, you know, evolve a little further down the evolutionary line, um, we start to lose some of that. So again, there's always a constant change uh, throughout our cycle of life. And I think as golf professionals, we've got to be careful that, you know, what we're teaching them today, we might have to change somewhat, you know, two, three years down the road because of some of the factors that you pointed out. So um, some great points there. Um, yeah, that, Money, that's, I want to ask you, right. sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, no, what I was going to ask you was, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think a lot of professionals do is, is, you know, they'll say, well, watch uh, so-and-so, whether it's Tiger, it doesn't matter who it is, but watch the professionals uh, and, and, and look at what they're doing. Give us an idea from an amateur standpoint what they can learn from watching the pros and, and maybe give some specific uh, examples uh, of what, you're, what you see the pros doing that would greatly benefit uh, a lot of our amateurs out there that are tuning in tonight. That's a really, really good question. And I think, and this actually even is a transition from the previous point, all too many mm -hmm. amateurs will say something like, oh, I'm built like Justin Thomas. I'm going to try and do right. what he does, you know, and that mm -hmm. is almost universally a complete disaster. And right. here's, this is what I always tell people. Take a screenshot from a tour player and try and emulate that position because right. the likelihood of doing the 173 things that led up to that position is zero. To answer right. your original question, <laughs> what can we learn from tour players is this is what I tell all of my students. I never will say, here's Tiger Woods, here's Adam Scott, here's you, look what he's doing, look what you're doing, do what he does. What I tend to right. do is, when I, when I use tour players, is I will say, okay, look, in my opinion, you are lacking this movement in your swing. And then I will yes. bring up five tour players and say, look, see how all five of these guys do that? So mm -hmm. I think what we can learn from tour players is if you watch 20 of them and say, wow, all 20 of them do these same two things, those two things are probably pretty important. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And I think something that, that we can encourage, and again, they don't have to mimic exactly, um, you know, it's always good for our, our, our players to mimic good things, not necessarily movements in the swing or, or things like that. Obviously, there are certain areas, as you just pointed out, that are important. But one thing that a lot of amateurs lack is a good uh, – pre and post shot routine they they you know don't really have anything it's not consistent so what i sometimes will say to my students 
is I will say, and again, I might take three or four different players, and I will say to them, I want you to watch how they approach each shot, and then I'll have them write down what they did before each shot and exactly, you know, the number of steps they took, you know, the number of waggles, how many times they looked up at the, at the hole and, and how many times they, you know, looked back down at the ball before they actually, uh, you know, executed the shot. And the idea is I want them to get a sense that these players have developed a routine and consistently repeat that. Um, I don't want them to copy that. Uh, they can certainly take things that maybe are comfortable to them uh, or ideas, but I want them to develop a similar routine for them uh, to be able to master. And then I want them to repeat it the same as they're seeing the pros do it on TV, not necessarily the same pre-shot or post-shot routines. I want them to develop their own, but I want them to be able to consistently repeat that movement um, before they hit every shot. So that they ingrain some, some positive uh, imagery and preparation before they hit each of their shots. And that's something that I like to do. And I don't know whether that's something you do as well, but um, I think that's important. I think it's what a lot of amateurs lack. I think that's that's 100% correct. And the key word that you used is repeat. And yes. I think all too often amateur golfers get get locked up in, oh, look at how deliberate this guy is and how good he is. And then they their, their right. pre-shot routine takes 45 seconds. And, you know, this repeat is the key word, is – it doesn't matter what it is. You said it exactly right. I agree with that a hundred percent. As long as you can repeat it, and yeah, and and I, I can't think of one of my first timers. You know, every time someone comes the first time, I can't think of one of them off the top of my head that repeated what they did more more than once in a row. So that's I agree right. with you. That's a hundred. Routine is huge. The go, the golf swing is repetitive motion. And if yeah. your routine before and after isn't repetitive, good luck. Well, you're exactly right, too. And, and the reason why I say that, Monty, is this. The golf swing is also about rhythm and timing with your body. And if you don't, in order to develop a good rhythm and timing, it's not just a matter about swinging in the club. I mean, obviously, there's an importance there. But it's also the rhythm, rhythm and timing of your movements. So as an example, if the first time you come up off the tee and, you know, you, you take 10 paces and you get up there and, you know, a couple of waggles and, you're, you know, you're looking up and down or whatever it is that your, your pre-shot routine is and you hit a great shot. Well, then you get out in the fairway. Now you're only taking three steps. Uh, you only look up once and you've quickened the pace. So what ultimately happens is then you rush that shot. So you, you've sort of gotten out of sync. And if you look at even players, um, you know, whether it be uh, Ernie Els as an example, very methodical about all of their movements. The timing uh, and the rhythm of those movements is exactly the same day in, day out. Uh, Freddie Couples is another one. Um, you know, Nick Price has a very quick pace. Uh, his pre-shot routine and his shots are, are quick in themselves, but they're always consistent. And that's why they do as well as they do out on the PGA Tour and, and of course, uh, the Champions Tour, um, because they've developed a rhythm and timing with their body. And I think what a lot of amateurs do, and I think this is the point that I was trying to make, is they get themselves out of sync. One minute they're rushing to the shot, the next minute they're slowing it down, and it depends on their mood or, or what's happened you know, with the previous shot. 
and they get themselves out of a rhythm. And the next thing you know, their whole game around falls apart. So that's why I say I think sometimes developing that pre-shot or post-shot routine uh, is crucial to becoming a better player. You may still hit a, a cruddy shot. Those can be worked on in the, on the practice tee. But if you want to develop a good timing or, or rhythm, then you need to work on uh, the before and the after shot as well. Um, just I, I could, a little food yeah, for I thought. Could, I, I couldn't agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, and, and you know, th- th- you brought up something that is so underrated and so under-discussed and so misinterpreted. And the people listening are going to say, come on, Monty, those are semantics, and it's not. All too often, you use the right word, rhythm, and you brought up Ernie Els and Fred Couples, and then on the flip side, Nick Price. All too often, amateur golfers misrepresent rhythm and use the word tempo instead. I want to have a slow, smooth tempo, and that absolutely wrecks one out of three people that come to me for the first time. Because what happens is, is they are so they get themselves moving so slowly going back that they get so anxious to start the downswing. Sure, they have a slow tempo, but their rhythm is terrible. And you brought right. up Nick Price, who had a super fast tempo, but one of the greatest yep. rhythms in the history of the game. And people are yep. absolutely dumbstruck when I put their they come Monty. I'm really really quick. I'm super super quick and I just can't slow down. And they're dumbfounded when I put their swings up next to Ernie L's, and he's walking down the fairway when they're still in the middle of their backswings. So right. <laughs> I, I can't stress enough to the people listening that your use, your proper use of the term rhythm, that is what's important and not tempo. You can have a fast tempo, you can have a slow tempo, but having the proper timing to your rhythm is i mean if it's not the most important thing in the swing it's it's pretty close to the top right and you know a lot of people might be scratching their head and say well how do i know what my my rhythm is how do i find my rhythm well just walking just a normal walk will more often than not tell you what your rhythm is you know you you see some people that are very slow and methodical in their well, obviously, they have a slower uh, rhythm. People that have maybe a, a quicker step and a quicker pace, they're a little bit faster. So take your cues from that. The, like you said, the last thing that you want to do is if you're somebody that has a quick rhythm to want to do the opposite and try to slow everything down because you're, what's going to happen is your body will not work in sync with itself. It'll, it'll get out of sync because it, it goes outside of what your body is designed for. That's why, uh, again, you're not going to necessarily teach – a person that's five foot tall and you know maybe 185 pounds necessarily the same swing that somebody that's six foot four and 240 pounds. Um, there may be similarities right. and there are certain key areas, but again, we're all different, and it's important as instructors that we identify those things right from the get-go. Uh, ball flight and all that other stuff, those fall into place, but really it's establishing the individual's rhythm first and understanding that Ooh. I think is, is key before we start really yeah. uh, getting them to do anything else. Um, and, and I, let me and just I ask found you a really good sorry, go ahead. I yeah, found go a ahead. really good way that people can find that is you can go get a free metronome app and change the yep. settings on it. So it goes click, 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 click. 
And what you do is, is you start the backswing on the one count and you start the downswing on the two count and you speed it up and slow it down until you find yourself swinging to that cadence. And that's the easiest way to find, that I've found of finding that personal, you know, optimal rhythm that each golfer should have. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing too is it's all also about balance. I mean, if, you know, you have to be able to swing within yourself. If you're somebody that has a very slow uh, rhythm and suddenly you start speeding everything out, uh, what ultimately ends up happening is you get out of balance. Uh, you know, and I don't care how wide of a, a stance you have, if you're swinging out of the, you know, out of your boots uh, or out of your golf shoes, and your body is not set up to do that. I mean, you know, when you look at somebody like, like you said, Nick Price, as, as the example I use for a quicker um, rhythm, you know, he was able to still swing within himself. Now, if you were to take somebody like Ernie Els uh, or Freddie, as we suggested, and try to speed it up, more than likely they would not be in balance throughout their swing. Now, they might be able to pull it off because they played for so long, but ultimately they would find it very difficult to play with uh, Nick Price's in, uh, rhythm and, and vice versa. Because that's not how their bodies uh, are rhythmically de- designed, and this is what ultimately happens with a lot of players. Um, Monty, I want to jump forward here a little bit, um, and I want to keep in line with the, with the pros here for just a second. And, and and I always find there's certain things I like to watch for. I enjoy watching the ladies play as well on the LPGA. I think some great young uh, ladies, and there's some great seasoned veterans of the game as well. And I think, and I personally believe that there's a lot of things that us guys, if you will, can learn from these ladies on how they play and how they approach their game on the golf course. What are your thoughts there? Is there things that, that we can, as men, um, can learn from watching the ladies play um, and how they approach the game? See, I look at, I look at it more generally than, than that. I look at more as like a, anybody that excels at that level mm-hmm. – at something, whether it's a man, a woman, a college player, a junior golfer. What, I mean, I mean the, because people always ask me, what should I be looking for? And I, I say anything specific. I say, right. you know what? You're, you're going to see something different in each one of them. Like, wow, that, that person, they don't hit it particularly well, but good, goodness gracious, anything inside of 10 feet for Jimmy. Or you'll see another yep. guy that, you know, he's not a particularly good wedge player, but, boy, it doesn't matter if the fairway's 15 yards wide. He, he hits the fairway or she hits the fairway. And right. But, but so in general, to, to, to go back to your original question, in general, I think what the average male can learn from an LPGA professional is they do an excellent job of playing within themselves. You'll see yes. some of those late. They hit it 215 off the tee, 220 off the tee on the fly, which is what a tour player hits a four or a five iron. Yet they understand that's their game. They know not to attack mm-hmm. certain pins. They know not to, you know, try to do any forced carries. They, they know right. their game. They know what they're capable of, and that's how they approach it. And, they, and then the opposite is true is you'll see the super aggressive players will say, uh, you know, playing safe, they're disasters when they lay up. So, you know, those right. are the two ends of the spectrum there. 
And you, you have to be who you are. And laying up when you're an aggressive the, – the, the thing that I can remember on, on, the, on the passive side, I want to say it was maybe 20 years ago, Chip Beck, you know, it's Masters Week. And, you know, just yep. to throw this in there, I'm going to my first Masters next week, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, <laughs> 20 years ago, Chip Beck was sitting in the 15th fairway, and he got a ton of criticism for not going for the green on 15 from the top of the hill because right. he needed to make equal to have a chance to win. But I was, mm-hmm. being a super aggressive player myself, I didn't criticize him. Because I've met Chip, that's not his personality. That's not his game. Right. And even though maybe that was the only chance he had to win the tournament, his odds of pulling that off were zero because that's not him. Whereas on the flip side, you see someone do something super – like if you tell John Daly to lay up, he's liable to chunk the wedge 30 yards trying to lay up because that's not who he is. So, again, to get right. back to your original point, all of the people that succeed are who they are, and that's why they succeed. And as soon as they try to not be that person, they fail. So, you know, your original question is, what can the average man learn from an LPGA player? They do what they do. And, and, it, and it sounds, you know, corny and simple, but, but it's the truth. You know, if you're a slicer, don't aim down the right side of the fairway when there's OB right thinking you might hit this one straight. Yeah. (laughs) And we know there's a a, a few of you out there that are probably going to not, unfortunately not listen to that advice and end up doing just that. But um, no, that's why we're still uh, doing what we do is to help some of those out. Um, A a great answer, uh, Monty, by the way, I I think one of the things too, that, that I, look at when when watching the ladies uh, you're right they, they play within themselves but I also noticed too and, and obviously there there are some exceptions they're not as um, you know they're not focusing as much on the power game um, and, and obviously on the PGA Tour with with some of the young guys out there now I mean it's all about distance they're they're trying to get it out there as far as possible and ultimately the ladies are to a degree but for them they know that once they get within a certain yardage around that green, whether it be 100 yards or 120 yards, they've fine-tuned their short game to a point that they know what they're comfortable with, they know what they're able, what shots. So they just want to get themselves into position. So for them, it's more about positioning as opposed to, uh, you know, just bombing it out there and, you know, coming in with one club. They want to get themselves in position. So they're very methodical about that. And they focus a lot, I, I believe, um, on the short game area because that's a strength for them. I mean, they're very, very good putters. I mean, not to say that there aren't great putters on the PGA Tour, but I find that the, the ladies, um, again, there's some aggressive ones out there, but they tend to be more conservative in their play in some cases, um, but very methodical in, in how they go about it. And so there's always some things, like you said, it, it, you know, there's some good tips I think you can get on, on either side, but uh, I think there's some good tips that the LPJ ladies uh, have going for them that, that could certainly help uh, some of the guys because I, I think the guys get caught up on distance too much, and there's a lot of other areas of the game that, that are, are much more important than just how far you can hit it. Uh, which brings me to this uh, question, Monty, and I want to throw this out there. Obviously, you've been a, a world long uh, drive champion. Uh, 
are there secrets to hitting the long ball? And, and if so, what are they? Well, you know, just like anything, just like any other athletic movement, you know, it, you, you don't ask someone with a 45 inch vertical leap, how can I jump 45 inches? Well, you can't, you know, how, how can, you know, I hit it 400 yards? Well, you can't, but what right. you want to do it is maximize, maximize your ability. And so that's to answer your question. Number one is there is no substitute, not training programs, not swing methods, not anything. There is no substitute for learning you yourself swinging as fast, not as hard as you can, while still hitting the ball in the middle of the club face. That's something that's not talked about enough. You have a guy swinging 120 miles an hour and he hits it in the heel. It's not going to go as far as someone who swings 110 miles an hour and hits it in the middle of the club face. So right. that's, that, that should be the top of everybody's list. And that's a trial and error process. Okay. But, mm-hmm. but the, 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 the number one technical swing issue is, and this is going to sound very, very vague and random, but it, it, it's just, it's the secret. You know, if you want to know the secret to longer distances, it's learning how to, tra- it's learning how to sequence your transition properly. And everybody's listening to me going, great, what does that mean? Okay. What that means is, <laughs> right. you know, for you individually, that's going to be something different. It's going to depend on your mm-hmm. body size how you set up, your grip, where you set it at the top of the swing, and whatnot. But to be a little bit more specific, you hear people say, oh, well, you know, swing your arms as fast as you can. And then you have other people say, no, 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 firing the hips. That's where club head speed comes from. And then you see the, the data points. Oh, well, the kinematic sequence and deselling this segment and blah, blah, blah. And it becomes very confusing. Okay. Right. So here's what I tell people. Here's what I say. I say, look, whenever I'm teaching golf and I get blank looks from people when I'm trying to explain something, my default position is always to go away from golf. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to explain how to transition correctly is it works the exact same way as driving a stick shift car. Okay. When you drive a stick shift car, You push in the clutch, you shift, let out the clutch, and give it gas, okay? And the better Mm -hmm. you sequence those movements, the faster you can get the car to jump off the line and accelerate. And the way the body works is exactly the same way. So in my analogy, if you fire the hips too quickly, letting out the clutch, you try to shift, you grind the gears. If you try to shift, if you try to shift early and give it gas before you're letting out the clutch, well, you wind the engine up and you blow the engine up. So if right. you want to learn what maximum distance is, and it's a, you, know, you can have an instructor help you along with you personally, but it's mostly a trial and error process in getting your body to fire in the proper sequence and transition as well as, as well as you can. 
And that, quite honestly, is the secret to hitting the ball farther, is learning to transition correctly. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, well said, by the way, Monty. I, I think, too, that a lot of people, you know, try to equate power and, and I, and you're exactly right. I mean, you, you have to be able to swing the club faster to generate more club head speed. But if you do it in such a way, which goes back to what we talked about earlier about rhythm and timing is if you're, if you do it to a point where you're now becoming out of rhythm, then your sequence gets yep. out of, uh, out of line as well. And so what Absolutely. I always like to do is, yeah, is I like to get people to swing a little bit easier to start off with and just hit some balls, even if it only goes, a third of the, the distance and then gradually keeping as long as they're keeping that sequence, you know, build up that, that swing and get to the point where to an area where their swing now is taking them out of sequence. And that's generally where their maximum capability. And that doesn't mean they can't move that line a little bit more with some proper training and proper work. But the truth of the matter is again, because we're all different you might be able to swing the club head, um, you know, uh, 120 miles an hour. Uh, I might only be able to do 110 miles an hour. That might be my maximum to keep myself within right. balance and within my own rhythm. So, you know, when we see these numbers being thrown out, and this is something that always bothers me a little bit when we, you know, when we get uh, people on, on different scopes and, you know, whether it be TrackMan or something else, and, well, you got to get this number and you got that number my numbers might be entirely different than your numbers. Yep. Uh, obviously there's certain commonalities of course, but again, so I'm always a little bit leery when we, when we rely too much on technology to drive. Um, and again, I'm all for technology. Don't get me wrong, but when that's driving the message on, on how we want our players to react solely on the numbers, sometimes they're not getting the, the, the whole story. And, and again, if the, if the players are, are entirely different, um, Again, my numbers might be different from yours, so we're sometimes doing them a disservice. Um, and I think I your agree. your analogy on on yeah on hitting a longer uh, ball, whether it's with a driver or with a club, uh, with your irons, I think is is right. You've got to be within sequence, and you've got to keep it within the rhythm and timing of your own body. Well said. You, you'll find this you'll find this funny what you said about. When the, the, I, I try to instill in every one of my students, every one of them, regardless of skill level, and you're going to find this funny when this comes out of my mouth, is in the normal course of golf, I say 25 to 50% of your practice should be hitting your seven iron about 60 to 70% of its maximum distance with a shorter backswing. Yep. And if you're in the middle yep. of a swing change, that number should be 50 to 75%. And, right. you know, because if you can't, if you can't make a golf swing from left arm parallel backswing to a right arm parallel finish and hit it two thirds of your maximum distance, what luck are you going to have with a full swing? Right. And right. Exactly. And getting to your point on the numbers, I have a flight scope launch monitor. I have a 3d motion capture system. I have a body track pressure mat. But mm. the, but adhering closely to the numbers drives me nuts. Monty, yeah. you know, I'm hitting, I'm hitting down six degrees on my seven iron. Help me shallow out because <laughs> I know the tour average is only down 3.5. And then my right. head explodes. <laughs> and, and, and when I come around and, and we 
regain consciousness, I say, look, if 3.5 is the average, wouldn't that dictate that there are probably some fives and sixes out there? Oh, oh, yeah. And do you want to get your number to the tour average at the expense of hitting the ball? Uh, no. Well, then, you know, if, if, if the number in and of itself is causing an issue, you know, like if a guy's yeah. 15, you know, 12, 15 degrees to the right swing path and he's hitting snap hooks as a result, well, then maybe we better address that. But, you know, if his vertical swing plane is a bit too steep and he's playing the best golf of his life, do we really want to mess with that? You know, and, right, and right. like you said, <laughs> technology is fantastic. But when you have a guy sitting on the driving range, you know, saying, all right, buddy, your swing path is eight degrees to the right. We want it three right because that's the perfect push draw number. And then that's all he says. That's that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. We have to be careful. And, and I think it's great to have access to this information. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Um, but I think we have to be careful because, unfortunately, what's happened over the last decade or so um, with, with a lot of the insurgence of a lot of technology is the consumers have bought into it to the point where they're now giving you the numbers that they want because of what they're hearing or seeing on TV and without really understanding how it's going to affect their game. They just assume, well, that's the, like you said, that's the number I need to have because so-and-so on the, on the tour, that's where he's at, or that's what the average tour player is, is, is doing. So I need to be doing that if I want to be a better player. And it may be entirely different for that individual because, again, their body type is different than, um, you know, probably 90% or 99% of the people that are out there on the PG or LPJ tour. So, uh, again, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning is, is really finding your own game and not, you know, trying to duplicate something that you're seeing on TV. All right, let's, uh, let's move it forward here on uh, just a couple of quick questions. Uh, you know, Tiger's been in the, in the news again uh, here lately. Uh, we've watched him the last several weeks as he gets ready to, to come into uh, next week's Masters. Uh, a lot of Tiger mania. Uh, is there anything that you see, Monty, uh, in this comeback? I mean, this is obviously probably about the third or fourth time that Tiger's come back, or, or so we thought. Uh, anything different that you see in this comeback that maybe you haven't seen previously? Okay. It, it's really funny because, look, every, every client, every person that follows me on the Internet, at some point or another, Monty, what do you think about Tiger? What do you think about his swing? <laughs> and and um, I, I went on record uh, like five or six years ago, four or five years ago, that um, and it can be found on one of the message boards. Everybody was ranting and raving about how great Tiger swing looks were this and all the angles were that, and this is the best swing since Hogan. And I very succinctly said, a back injury is imminent. And I have yep. said since, since, he, since I became an instructor and started studying the swing, which was about 10 or 11 years ago, I said, in my opinion, if you told Tiger to swing like Jim Furyk, he would still win golf tournaments. So mm-hmm. what the swing is is irrelevant because he's just that good. He's that talented. He's right. that driven. He's that whatever. So my premise has always been Tiger needs to have a golf swing that 
protects his body as much as possible. You know, golf swings are difficult right. on the body. But let's put sure. a little stretch. So, so my opinion has always been coming into impact, Tiger's shoulder turn needed to be less vertical and a little flatter and around on his downswing. That's just been my two cents. And the latest incarnation of his swing that we've seen the last three months is a much flatter and less vertical shoulder turn on the downswing. So that long-winded response, I think his swing <laughs> is as good as good for his body as I've ever seen it since I thought I had a clue on what a good golf swing was. So I think he is going – now how successful he's going to be, Tiger's skill – skill, his greatest skill was never – his swing, his short game, or his putting. It was his focus and his ability to play one shot at a time better than anybody that I've ever seen. Just a quick side note here, a story about Tiger. I watched Tiger snap hook four consecutive drives at a tournament and then get on the fifth tee that was a dog leg right and OB left and start it down the left-hand side and cut it back in the fairway. To me, that was right. the most impressive thing I have ever seen in golf. You know? And so, to yep. me, Tiger's mental game, Monty, do you think Tiger's going to beat Jack's record? I have no idea. We don't know right. where his mental state is when he gets back in that, in that position. But in my personal opinion, his swing is in a position, puts him – in a position where physically he can succeed. So now it's just a matter if mentally he's still, even if he's 80% of the old tiger mentally, that's still better than everybody else. Yeah. Well said. I think one of the things Monty that I see this time around with tiger that I haven't seen for a little while um, you're right. Obviously, some some changes uh, uh, in the swing that hopefully is is helping him uh, be a little bit more comfortable physically. But I see a little bit more confidence. Obviously, when he first came out this season, uh, you know he had some bad shots, bad putts, but that's to be expected. Um, you know, we all hit some from time to time. Um, but you know, he hasn't really played a lot of competitive golf uh, for some time. So you've got to kind of you know factor that in. But what I've noticed here in the last few weeks is a dramatic uptick in his comfort level and confidence out in the golf course. Even though he hasn't won yet, I mean, he's, he's gotten up in very, very close cont- – in fact, he was in contention uh, – was it last week or the week before? So, you know, for, for somebody to come out that has really been sort of off the radar for several years, to be able to come that quickly back in, in line uh, to – coming close to, to being uh you know the winner tells you a lot as you said mentally that he's preparing himself and he's comfortable with his swing he knows there's still a few tweaks i mean even in tiger's heyday i can remember him saying you know i wasn't playing my a game and everybody's scratching their head well, what do you mean your a game so that was kind of scaring everybody out in the pga tour because they thought you just won the tournament by you know nine strokes and that's not your a game so you know i, I think what it's going to take for Tiger to, and again, I agree with you, whether he take, uh, gets Nicholas's uh, record or not, you know, that's only time will tell. 
but what I like about how he's playing right now is I see uh, a more confident and comfortable Tiger out in the golf course. And I think all of the other uh, with time and, and, you know, more tournaments under his belt. And I, I, I don't know whether he's going to win next week or not. Um, he may not even necessarily be in contention, but I think you're going to see that confident and comfortable level uh, of playability while he's out there uh, in Augusta. I think you're going to see that in his play. Uh, and that's a positive sign, again, win, lose, or draw. Um, and, and I'm happy for him. I'm glad to see him out there. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, well, you know, is he doing this or is he doing that? It doesn't matter. Tiger knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he knows his game better than anybody else on the planet. And he just has to stay within himself and just feel comfortable and confident with what he's doing out there. And I think the sky's the limit. Uh, and again, whether he wins another three or four majors, who knows? But uh, I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to, to watch him next week. There, there's, there's one other variable that, that I find extremely interesting. And I don't know, you know, it's too soon to tell whether this is a positive or a negative. But I think we can all agree that throughout Tiger's career, he was very surly, almost to the point of being hostile on the golf course when yep. he played. And now he seems to be ha- – and I was like, Tiger, come on, have some fun when you play. And now he seems to be a lot happier and having a lot more fun when he plays. But now that I've started this – look, is, is that necessarily a positive? I don't know yet. But I do see that he's having a lot more fun on the golf course. And, um, and, 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 and I think, like you said, only time will tell. Maybe surly and hostile is where he's at his best, you know. But right. that's another that's another variable that's introduced itself. He's having a lot more fun out there than he used to. Yeah, and I, I enjoy, you know, I, I watched him uh, the last several weeks. I've watched him play. I certainly didn't see the whole, um, you know, every round of the tournaments, but I, I watched a lot of the highlights, and I did watch some of the rounds. And, uh, you know, I liked what I saw, you know, irrespective of his golf swing. I don't really, you know, to be honest, I don't really look at his golf swing. I look at how he manages himself around the golf course that's what impresses me the most and that's why i said you know i see that sort of level of confidence uh and and comfortability with what he's doing out there you know there was a point when you know tiger made so many different changes over the years when he went from butch and then he went to hank and and so on and so forth and you know it might take a year and you know you would see him out there and he would kind of struggle a little bit as he was making these changes which you know, obviously anybody is going to do, but then there would be sort of almost like he would find that rhythm of whatever he was doing. He would find that rhythm again. And suddenly that confidence would pick back up. And that's what I'm starting to see now. It's still a little early and I don't know how well he'll, uh, as I said, do next week uh, at Augusta, but I'm starting to see that level of confidence. And I think with the changes that he's made, as you pointed out, I think that if he um, stays with a swing, that's going to be as, low impact on his body as possible. I think that he's, uh, you know, only going to continue to, to uh, get better and better as the weeks progress. So time will tell, as you said, and, and we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm certainly glad to see him back and see him, uh, you know, a, a little bit of the old tiger, if you will, uh, mixed in with the new. And, and being an instructor, when tiger, when tiger's doing well, the game becomes more popular and we have more people coming to see us for golf lessons. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you're heading off to uh, just in our closing uh, few moments here, uh, Monty, 
Uh, you're heading to uh, your first Masters next week. When are you heading out? <clears throat> yeah, I, I have a, um, uh, a golf <clears throat> school uh, in Atlanta. For, for, I'm doing a, a school for a group there in Atlanta of uh, uh, 12 guys. And um, it's uh, Saturday and Sunday of uh, the final two rounds of the Masters. So I'm heading out there uh, Wednesday and Friday. And then while mm-hmm. I'm there, I'm also going to um, try and uh, qualify for the, uh, the Champions Tour event that's there in, uh, the following week. Oh, fantastic. Well, very good. Well, Monty, uh, I wish you uh, much continued success. And I know you've had, uh, over the last year, uh, a little bit of a setback with, with your injury and in that. So um, hopefully everything's uh, firing 100%. And, and uh, enjoy the Masters next week. And, uh, and uh, good luck uh, the following week uh, on, uh, on requalifying for the Champions Tour. I have no doubt you'll, uh, you'll make it out there. And, and um, you, you've obviously gone most of the way the first time around and unfortunately had an injury that that set you back but uh at least you can use it as a learning experience uh to be able to prepare for for the next one so uh good luck with it, my friend and uh and let me know how you make out thanks ted i appreciate it all right have a good one monty and thank you for joining me tonight in coach's corner thank you all right good night all right, that was my very special guest, uh, Monty Sh- uh, Scheinblum, uh, great uh, golf professional, and uh, just sharing some thoughts with him tonight um, on the show, uh, a little bit about um, rhythm and timing and, and all kinds of good things, and we just sort of close things off a little bit uh, on some thoughts about Tiger for, for next week. Um, I've got another uh, great segment tonight uh, that I want to share with you, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this tonight. Uh, my good friend, uh, Brett Cohen, the golf fitness instructor and Fitness Over 50 Authority and the founder of the uh, New York Golf Fitness Guru, uh, is going to be joining me here. And he's brought along with him uh, another good gentleman, Dr. Thomas Kern, who is a chiropractor with the Axon Health Associates, uh, also from the New York area. And they're going to bring to the show a great series um, and uh, with some great topics. And it's uh, about meaningful mobility, the key to unlocking the power in your golf swing. Uh, it's a two-part uh, segment. We're going to uh, try and squeeze it all in within the next hour, but let me just tell you a little bit about each of them, and then I'm going to bring them onto the show. Uh, as I mentioned, Brett's been on the show many, many times, a uh, uh, gentleman that I refer to many, many times uh, as our, our fitness guru here on, on the show, and uh, he's, a, as I said, a golf fitness instructor and Fitness Over 50 Authority, founder of uh, NY Golf Fitness Guru, and he's been involved in the fitness industry for over 17 years, specializing, working with golfers and individuals uh, uh, over 50, and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications, Titleist uh, uh, Performance Institute and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specializing in the mature population. Uh, joining him tonight as well is Dr. Thomas Kern uh, from Axon uh, Health Associates. And a little bit about Thomas uh, Thomas is, uh, graduated from West Virginia University in 2010 with a BS in exercise physiology and an area of emphasis in aquatic therapy. Uh, continued his education in New York uh, Chiropractic College, where he earned his doctorate of chiropractic degree. Uh, during his studies, he completed a prestigious internship at South Shore uh, Neurologic Associates in Chronic Pain Division, uh, where he focused on high-complexity uh, cases featuring a multitude of neur- neurologic conditions and chronic uh, pain patients. And uh, he's also a former athlete, so he uh, understands uh, putting a lot of pressure on the body. And he's going to talk a little bit about 
some of the things that can help with the mobility. And uh, let me just bring both of them on uh, to the show tonight. Good evening, Brett and Thomas. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hey, Ted. Good evening. Hey, Ted. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Not a problem. uh, Thomas, thank you for joining us. Uh, First time on the show, and uh, Brett is always welcome back. Um, Thank you, Ted. Brett, I'm going to let you... I'm going to let you jump right in here. Um, we kind of set things up a little bit, what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I'm going to let you, and I think as I understand everything correctly, you're going to sort of lead things off a little bit. And certainly, Thomas, I want you to, to jump in along the way uh, where you feel appropriate. And then I think on the second uh, part, uh, Thomas, I think you're going to sort of spearhead a little bit more of that. And, and I'm going to sit very patiently and, and kind of follow along <laughs> and then uh, may jump in with some thoughts as well. But, uh, Brad, I'm going to let you uh, start the discussion. So go ahead. Yeah, so tonight we're talking about mobility, and we're going to define what it is, uh, where we need it in our bodies, what can happen in your body or to your body and your golf game if you don't have it, where you need it, and how we can improve mobility with both exercise and with the help of medical professionals like Dr. Kearns. Perfect. Um, so let's, let's start the obvious, and what is mobility? Let's talk about that. And, and, and obviously, as always, Brett, we're going to wrap this in and talk a little bit about golf and, and, and how it yeah. uh, is an important factor uh, in your golf game. So for those of you listening, say, well, why are we talking about this? Uh, you know, how is this going to help my golf game? Well, listen to the next hour, and you're going to understand why. So first off, let's talk about what is mobility. Give us a sort of a general overview. Yeah, so the general overview would be in everyday language, we think of mobility as just having the ability to move. So mobility basically means movement. Uh, When we're talking about the body, in reference to the body, mobility is the combination of muscular flexibility, tissue extensibility, and the normal range of motion at a joint. And that is a must for proper movement mechanics and and to reduce the risk of injury. So uh, we need mobility at certain segments of our body. And uh, if we don't have mobility at those segments, then oftentimes we will get pain in the segment above or below the segment that's designed to be mobile. Right. And, and I know you've talked about that before. Obviously, if you have, mm-hmm. um, say, as an example, something that happens with your knee, uh, it's going to affect both above and below the knee, correct? All right. So basically, uh, in order to define this for the audience, I think the best way is to talk a little bit about what I know as the joint-by-joint approach, which is basically stating that uh, you want to think of the body as just a stack of joints, and each joint, in some cases, a series of joints and uh, s- several segments together, like the thoracic spine, that's the part of the spine where the rib cage is, the lumbar spine or your lower back. They have certain characteristics of mobility or stability, and if the pattern is broken or altered in any way, then a compensation can occur in the segment above or below, which leads to irritation, inflammation, pain, and then if it goes long enough, injury, and eventually it can even lead to a surgery. So there are certain segments that are designed to be mobile. That's the segments that we're talking about today. Uh, and if they're not, the segment above, so where you referenced the knee before, that is inherently a stable segment stuck between right. the, the ankle and the hip. So if the ankle and the hip are not as mobile as they need to be, uh, oftentimes the knee can complain. Right. 
Right. So it kind of gives you feedback in a lot of ways um, when other areas of the body aren't, aren't working. Um, one of the interesting things we're going to um, share with the audience uh, a little bit later on in the broadcast, um, because I know you put together uh, a great um, article, if you will, on, on what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to direct mm-hmm. uh, the folks after the show if they want to go and, and read things um, in more detail uh, that where they can find that. But uh, what was interesting about mobility is you kind of broke it down in, in a couple of areas. And I want you just to touch a little bit on, on each of them. But, you know, you talked about in our earlier beginnings in life and, and uh, generationally, obviously, in, in our primal beginnings, as you put it. Um, and then, obviously, you talk a little bit about today. So kind of define that, what you mean by, obviously, earlier beginnings and, and a little bit about mobility. And then talk about today as uh, how our bodies have changed. Sure, sure. Well, Primal beings, we needed to be mobile to survive, uh, and that's really just up to the last hundred years or so. Um, uh, we needed to be able to squat and to lunge, to bend, to push, pull, twist, walk, jog, run, sprint, and carry just to survive in a hostile environment, and we were meant to move. Um, but unfortunately, right. modern society has now uh alter things drastically you know we live in complete contrast to what we were designed to do and most people spend their time in a in a chair sitting at work sitting on the way to and from work and even when they get home from work so we are essentially immobilized by our working environment and um, and that causes problems in the body and even people with good intentions that go to the gym as we've discussed before they may gravitate to a machine uh, and a machine is just uh, a chair with a weight stack next to it. So they're just immobilized all day long, and that causes uh, dysfunction in the, bo- in the body. Uh, it just means that you physically can't move the way we're designed to move anymore. Right. So talk a little bit about how mobility uh works in the body what specifically i mean and and again we'll try to draw a parallel with golf uh as best we can um so that people get a a working understanding of that but talk a little bit about how it actually works in the body and and, um specifically uh and you mentioned about the joints uh sort of a joint by joint what we're talking about Mm -hmm. right so I, i mentioned earlier that it's a combination of muscular flexibility and the normal range of motion at a joint and the joints that we need to be mobile uh, we're going to start from the ground up since golf is a ground-based sport and your feet are connected to the ground. We want to talk about the joints from the ground up, and that starts with the big toe. Uh, the bending backwards mm-hmm. of the big toe sets up the next segment, the foot for stability, which when we have an arch in our foot, it's a stable segment. All the segments above the foot have to be uh, stabilized by the, the foot and the ankle. Uh, the knee is inherently a stable segment, although it does need to be mobile enough to bend 90 degrees, but we don't want it to rotate. The hip, the segment above, is a mobile joint. The segment above that, the lumbar spine, a stable segment. Segment above that, thoracic spine, a mobile segment. Uh, And then we get to the shoulders. Uh, They need to be mobile as well. Uh, And the upper cervical spine requires mobility as well as the wrist, and those are all essential elements or joints that are involved in a mechanically correct golf swing. Yeah, and and what's interesting about that is, you know, in my earlier segment uh, with one of my fellow professionals, 
you know, we talked about sequencing and, you know, you sort of laid it out there. I mean, obviously golf is from the ground up. I mean, the, the ground is, is where we make contact with earth and are in our feet. Uh, and obviously the club is in our hands. So there's a, a little bit of a, a distance between their feet and their hands as far as our different joints that we're using in order to execute a, a successful golf swing. So we want to make sure we're in sweet, uh, sequence. And as you pointed out, if something in that se- sequence isn't working correctly, then it's going to throw uh, everything out and cause obviously poor golf shots uh, is the least of it, right. but can also cause um, it to be out of pattern, if you will. So um, you've got some things here, which I thought was kind of interesting. You refer to as the four T's that can alter uh, sort of a normal pattern that we would use in, in our everyday golf swing. So talk a little bit about that. And then, um, Dr. Kearns, I'd like you to maybe jump in, too, um, with a little bit of thought uh, on some things that you see. Obviously, you, I'm sure, have dealt with a lot of different athletes, but golfers particularly. Some of the things that fall within these four categories um, that you can explain can be some of the cause of it. Um, so, Brett, go ahead and start first, and, and sure. Dr. Kearns, and I'd like you to jump in as well. So yep, we're absolutely. discussing what, what, can, what can alter the normal pattern of mobility and stability. Uh, and you referred to the four Ts. Uh, the first is traumas, or uh, that would include accidents, uh, chronic poor posture, repetitive movement injuries. The next one is thoughts, so stress, anxiety, depression. Uh, they could all contribute to uh, uh, altering the p- normal pattern. Toxins, what you eat, what you drink, and uh, what and how you breathe and techniques, so poorly learned skills as well as poor movement patterns. Uh, these are all factors that go into changing or altering the normal pattern of mobility and stability in the body. Right. And, you know, we were also talking um, in an earlier segment, you know, we were sort of finishing up with Tiger and talking about some of the injuries um, that he's mm-hmm. experienced his back and his knee and so forth. So, Dr. Kearns, just sort of talking and, and sort of brushing along some of these uh these four T's, if you will, talk about, let's say, trauma. Um, obviously, somebody injures themselves on the golf course. What happens to the body? Uh, obviously, it gets inflamed, but we sort of compensate with other things as well in order to avoid that injury or uh, avoid exacerbating that injury. So talk a little bit about that, some of the things that you've seen coming into to practice um, that are golf-related in, in some of these areas that, that Brett just mentioned. Yeah, sure. So um, the biggest thing is usually generally traumas or micro traumas that we call it, uh, that we refer to, which are usually caused by repetitive motion. Um, just like a baseball a, a baseball pitcher might hurt, have shoulder injuries, um, we see a lot of that times often in the elbows that from either hitting a root. Sometimes people can hurt their elbows or hurt their shoulders that way. And just from taking hundreds and hundreds of shots a day, that eventually builds up. And the muscles wear out, and usually it's, you know, because of poor mechanics or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, you know, when you look at Tiger, with even with his back uh, fusion surgery, you know, chances are that L5-S1 joint that he ended up having fused was not really the biggest problem. That's just kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. He probably had deficiencies somewhere else in whether it may be the hips and that didn't allow him to have the proper stability in the lumbar spine, so they had to go in and surgically create it. Um, so now he's going to have another effect, which they sometimes call the zipper effect. So now the joint above it and below it is going to have to make up for that loss of motion within that joint. Um, so very oftentimes you'll see 
uh, injuries like that come into the practice. And these are not injuries that sometimes you do have ones that happen, you know, you, you hit a root like I referred to, which is probably one of the more common ones mm-hmm. I see with the golf swing. Um, but these happen over years. You know, it really is a cumulative effect. And then all of a sudden you right. kind of have one incidence that's going to kind of trigger off that inflammatory cascade that you mentioned. And that does usually trigger a bunch of compensation through whether it be the knee, the the hip, or other body parts. Right. And let me just let me just add one more thing, uh, Dr. Kearns, I'd like you to, to talk about as well, which I find very interesting. A lot of people may not realize can affect ultimately their golf game. And that is, um, you know, a word that's been thrown around for probably the last decade or so is toxins. You know, people for most of their life never even heard of toxins other than, you know, toxic waste that maybe got spilled in a lake or a river. Uh, but it, it's now more prevalent in a lot of the things that we eat. Um, and, and this is true as well, is what we're putting into our body um, whether we're eating or even the environment to a certain degree, creates uh, toxins that ultimately can inflame the body. And that's something that you see as well, correct? In, in your practice, you see a lot of uh, in, inflammatory uh, muscles and things that could be caused uh, by toxins. So what would you suggest for some of the golfers listening out there? Obviously, we want to get them eating nutritionally a little bit better, but what are some things that, that they can do to keep some of that inflammation down? Yeah, um, to keep a lot of the inflammation down, um, you know, even off of, you know, proper stretching and foam rolling, stuff like that can certainly help reduce some of the lactic acid buildup and inflammatory substances that you have within the muscles. But as far as your intake, your body intake, obviously, um, you're always going to need protein. You're always going to want to watch your processed foods those are going to really set off inflammatory uh, cascades within the body. Um, You really want your stuff to be more organic-based, more natural. Um, There are some supplements that are out there, something like turmeric, uh, which which is an herb that you can add to your your, uh, dishes, Um, something called boswellia, which has actually been showed to have um, just as much of an inflammatory effect as an Aleve or Advil or OTCs, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories. And so those are usually something when I have a patient that comes in acute, uh, you know, where they just started to experience this pain, I'll sometimes recommend a supplement such as that. Um, and it's really easy to add into your diet. Yeah. And and the reason why I wanted to bring that one up, uh, Dr. Kearns, was simply that, you know, a lot of uh, people that go out to the golf course, of course, they want to uh, partway around, maybe you want to grab a snack and, and uh, there's obviously some healthier alternatives because, you know, people don't realize this, even though golf is not a contact sport, uh, the same as say football or, or other sports, um, it is, does require a certain amount of physical stamina, uh, to play 18 holes. And depending on where you are, especially down here in the South where it gets a little hotter than that, you've got to be able to sustain that energy for, for that, uh, you know, what, what could be four to five hours of a round. Um, so obviously, you know, eating a chili dog at the turn or, you know, having a couple of, uh, you know, cold beers or something like that as well, that is going to dehydrate you is certainly not going to help you, but going to add to some of that inflammation a little bit as well. Correct. Yeah, that's 100% correct. You know, you're definitely going to want, want to watch your diet. You know, sugar is going to be really, really also very inflammatory. So that's one thing that, uh, you bring up a great point. Just people, you know, if they bring snacks 
pack snacks in their bag, um, take a look at the nutritional label. Um, protein bars are very high in sugar. Um, even protein drinks, right. they can be very high in sugar. And that can give you a short-term little pick-me-up, but that can also bring you crashing down, um, you know, as you get into the third or fourth hour of play. Um, and that will dehydrate right. you as well. Um, beer, you know, is, is always tempting on the course, um, but that's also going <laughs> right. to dehydrate you. And, uh, you know, that will affect your hydration levels, and that's going to affect your energy overall. And it's going to affect your focus, and that will cause your uh, your score to go down or a score to go up. Right. Right. And, um, you know, that's why I always say, uh, Brett, is let's save that for after you've played your golf mm-hmm. game. Maybe have a, a cold right. one to celebrate a good round. Um, Brett, I want to get you to jump back in here as well. Um, so we understand now a little bit better about mobility and, and a little bit of the role uh, that it plays in general. Um, but how do we assess uh, mobility? How do we, you know, get an assessment of how good our mobility is and, and maybe areas that we need improvement on? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, and this kind of uh, will fall into the comment you made earlier about sequencing. We're going to bring that back up as well. So what I do mm-hmm. to discover whether somebody needs help with mobility or not is by using a movement screen. Uh, I use the TPI Level 1 movement screen as well as what's known as the functional movement screen. And that uh, allows me to understand what someone's physical limitations are and then how that influences their movement. This is a critical piece of information understanding why certain characteristics might be present in their golf swing. Um, so, and that is what TPI refers to as the body swing connection. One of the strongest correlations that TPI has found in relation is the relationship between a test or screen known as the overhead deep squat and loss of posture or early extension. So uh, an overhead deep squat is, having your arms extended overhead, holding a stick or a dowel or a golf club, uh, locking out your elbows, feet shoulder-width apart, and sitting or squatting to the point where your hips are below your knees and your arms are in line with your shins or your tibia. Uh, It's quite challenging. So the vast majority of people that take that screen do not pass. And the correlation is that there's a 90% chance that you will early extend, which means your hips will come towards the ball, too soon in the downswing portion of the mm-hmm. golf swing uh, if right. you do not pass that, that screen. Uh, and that will take you out of sequence. So the sequence, of, the desired sequence is the hips, the torso, arms, and the club. That is known, that's the desired kinematic sequence, the ability to transfer uh, energy from the ground up. So if you fail that overhead deep squat, it's going to be 90% chance you're not going to be hitting in sequence. Yeah, and that's obviously crucial um, in trying to execute a, a proper golf swing. Um, you know, if you're out of sequence, uh, most most likely you're going to be out of balance as well uh, in your mm-hmm. golf swing. And this is something, that again, that we touched on a little bit earlier in my first segment was, um, you know, s- sort of swing within yourself. And, and, and I know we've already touched on a little bit about this, some of the things that happen when there's a loss of mobility. Um, and I want you to do that, but and, and Thomas, uh, Thomas, I want you to also jump back in as well here um, and talk a little bit. Uh, Brett, I want you to lead it off, but Thomas, I want you to jump mm. in here as well and talk a little bit about, I think there's a misconception in golf that everything revolves around the big muscles, but there's also a lot of little muscles that engage as well. Um, and when those are injured, sometimes 
we don't notice them right away because they're not big muscles. You know, obviously when you pull a, uh, you know, something in your shoulder, your back muscle, you feel that right away. But sometimes there's smaller muscles um, that help with stability. So, uh, Brett, talk a little bit about some of the things that happen when you lose the mobility. And then, uh, Dr. Kearns, I want you to jump in and talk about how we can identify some of these uh, stabilizing muscles when they're not firing on all cylinders either. So you wanted to know what happens when you lose mobility? Was that the question? Yes. Yes. Uh, right. Yep. So when, we're, when we lose mobility, uh, uh, the first symptom is going to be um, not be able to move the body properly. Um, so we talked about the joints that need to be mobile. That's going to alter your movement pattern. The second thing is if you do that pattern again and again, like Dr. Kearns referred to, a repetitive movement pattern w- with dysfunction, over time, the accumulation of that dysfunction will lead to irritation, inflammation, and, and pain. Uh, so that reflects in the joint above. Oftentimes, we just call that the, the symptom of what's wrong. We, he mentioned Tiger Woods earlier, not actually what's wrong, but the symptom of what's wrong somewhere else in the body. Uh, in terms of the uh, kinematic sequence, if you're not able to do that overhead deep squat, more than likely the culprit is going to be uh, your ankles and your hips. And we're finding that for most everyone, the ankle is a huge problem. Lack of ankle mobility causes the body to shift forward onto the balls of the foot, which you could call a loss of balance or even the inability to hip hinge or get into proper golf posture right at the get-go, right at the start. So, Ankle mobility is a key element to uh, to good golf. I'm spending a lot more time yeah. working on my clients' ankle mobility issues. <laughs> yeah, well, and and that's a, you know an area again. I think a lot of people focus on a lot of the big muscles in the body when they're thinking of their golf swing, but there's a lot of little muscles too that engage in areas of the body that people don't realize the importance that they play in in the golf swing. Um, Dr. Kearns. Uh, Maybe you can just touch and explain a little bit uh, because you see, you know, the body in its entirety. You understand how everything sort of fits together. And I'm sure you see, as you mentioned earlier, you know, somebody hitting maybe a root or something uh, creates an an, an injury in the wrist. Uh, But sometimes these injuries don't always show up right away. Um, So how can we identify when something's maybe not working right or, or isn't, you know, working as effectively as it should? How do we work through that without doing further injury and how do we, uh, you know, look out for, for things like that to, to prevent, um, you know, making it worse. Yeah, sure. That's a, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's tough to answer all in, uh, in one little bit, but, um, there are certainly definitely some, uh, signs that you might find. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about is actually something called proprioception. Um, so proprioception is actually, the body's awareness of where it is in space. So like if my hands are over my head, I know that because of proprioception and that's all relayed back to your brain through muscles and ligaments. Now, anytime you have an injury, that proprioception can be damaged and it will actually delay the response. And to kind of bring it back to sequencing, that will actually delay your sequence. It will actually alter your timing and that can actually lead to an injury. Um, There are several types of uh, just similar to how Brett will actually do the uh, the overhead squat. One of my favorite techniques mm-hmm. to look at uh, to identify this is actually a one-legged stand. 
Um, you know, this identifies a lot of different things as far as hip stability, um, what muscles might be stabilizing, which is obviously huge in the golf swing. Um, and it will also look at ankle mobility and ankle stability, knee stability. Um, so now if I have a patient stand on one leg for 30 seconds and they're wobbling all over the place, I know that there's some sort of muscle that is not stabilizing properly, and that could be setting them up for disaster. Um, Any time right. that you have had a previous injury as well, that's going to alter your proprioception as well. So you talked about how everybody thinks of those big muscles. You know, people you know think of big back muscles, arm muscles, shoulders, and, and hips for uh, golf. But to actually stabilize the back, you're actually relying on very tiny little muscles called multifidi. Um, those attach to each one of the vertebrae. And after you have a back injury, neurologically, it, it's not one of those muscles that you can flex and contract like your, your six-pack, you know. It's not one of those muscles. Right. It's, it happens reflexively. And after you have an injury, a back sprain, some people might have had a car accident way back when, um, that would damage that neurological relay. So those multifidi muscles don't necessarily stabilize when they should. Um, and a lot of times I see this actually in people who just say, you know, I'm just always so stiff, uh, you know, I'm so stiff or, you know, I stretch and stretch and my hamstrings just won't loosen up. You know, my hamstrings are always tight right. and I stretch every day. Um, that's one of the telltale signs that there is a lack of core stability um, is, is really one of the biggest things. As soon as somebody tells me that their hamstrings have been tight their their whole life, I Really, I'll look at the hamstrings, but chances are I'm going to treat the core because I know that that's not working. The hamstrings are, are really compensating hard to try and keep everything stable, including the pelvis. Um, so that's, you know, you can do uh, other tests such as a plank and just see where you might feel the mm -hmm. weakness or if your your butt's dipping down, you're going to have a lack of core. Uh, and that's really where I start with most of my patients. Do you typically... Um and this is again for you, Dr. Kearns, do you typically see um, some of these injuries or some of these areas of weakness uh, in any one demographic? Is it, is it more commonly in, in older um, patients that you're seeing, uh, male or female, or is it sort of pretty even across the board? Where do you traditionally see a lot of this? I will generally see it in males, uh, probably probably 45 to 65 is usually the demographic I'm looking at um, where I'll see okay. a, a big lack of mobility. The younger people who come into my office, that's generally going to be more of a traumatic injury. You know, maybe on their backswing they felt a pop and, you know, now they can't walk because their back hurts so much. Um, that might be the more younger demographic. The older demographic between, like I said, 45 and 65 is generally where I'm going to see the lack of mobility that cumulative trauma and the repetitive movements just taking its toll over time. And that's usually when they, by the time, usually they always think, oh, I can get through it, I can get through it. You know, I just put a heat pack on and stretch a little bit more. But then finally they kind of <laughs> give in and, and they end up in my office. Right. <laughs> Which if they had gone in the first place, they wouldn't have had to, you know, I mean, not saying that heat packs are, are bad or, or, or necessarily good or bad, but, uh, yeah, sometimes I think you need to just suck it up and, and do the right thing and go see a professional. Um, Brett, I want to get you to jump back in here as well. 
Um, you know, we, we talked, you, you've explained a little bit of, of, about uh, the obviously importance of mobility and let's sort of put it in perspective a little bit about how does the lack of mobility affect uh, my golf game? What, what are some things that I'm going to notice? Well, the first thing you're going to notice is you're going to have an inability to even get into position to perform a mechanically correct golf swing. Uh, that's number one. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's pretty obvious to someone like Dr. Kearns and myself that, that assess people all the time. And he does, as you could tell, he just mentioned moving screens that he's doing. Uh, they're very similar, if not the same as the ones that I'm doing. The first thing is, is mm-hmm. you're looking at how somebody moves and that gives you a lot of information as to what the brain is allowing the body to do. It's the nervous system that's controlling all, all of your movement. So if someone's lacking mobility, uh, one, they're going to have difficulty getting in position. Two, they may already be exhibiting uh, symptoms somewhere else in the body. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's the segment above or below. Um, they also right. probably will be frustrated that they're not increasing their distance, their driving distance or power, which is part of the title of, of this uh, this discussion is uh, meaningful mobility the key to unlocking the power in your golf swing and the reason i use the word power is this and uh, dr kearns brought up the word proprioceptors or proprioception uh, is a jam joint or a mobile joint uh, creates weak muscles and the opposite is true a mobile joint creates strength so if our nervous system is receiving proprioceptive signals telling it that a joint is closed or compressed or immobile, it immediately creates a, a reflex response to decrease muscle activation in the body to protect the joint. And those of us who understand power know that power is accumulation of strength times speed. So we're eliminating strength right off the bat if the joints that need to be immobile are not mobile. So we need mobility to allow for the generation of uh, elastic energy between muscles and body segments, and that's what allows us or gives us the base for efficient power production. Right. And and let me ask you, uh, Dr. Kearns, about things that obviously, you know, as we age uh, and start getting out, obviously there's things that we can do to, to prolong. I mean, inevitably we're, we're all going to lose, you know, power and, and our posture is, is going to change over time. But uh, and I know we're going to talk about this more in the second half uh, of some things that we can do. But um, there's obviously going to be more increased risk of injury um, when these things are not as mobile as they should be. And as as uh, Brett just pointed out, there's going to be certainly a loss of power, uh, which obviously translates into distance, uh, and and obviously creates a poorer posture which also is going to increase the, the risk of injury, and, and that's a lot of what you see in, in your practice, correct? Correct, yeah. I mean, I, I I see a lot of that with the loss of mobility. I mean, I see people just looking. I'll have them often take just video of their swing and just seeing the lack of mobility, you know, it, they'll eventually end up in pain if they're not already in it. Yeah, and and – you know, as you talked about, you, you both talked about earlier, there's certainly some telltale signs that the folks can see that lead up to uh, the inevitability of, of, you know, some sort of dysfunction in the body or, or lack of mobility. And that's when you need to, when you start to feel some and see some of those symptoms, that's when you really need to start addressing it and not wait until it becomes the problem. Um, now, for, for you golfers out there that are tuning into the show tonight, I've got two great guests, Dr. 
Thomas Kearns and, of course, my good friend Brett Cohen, uh, who are talking about uh, mobility and some of the issues um, that we face uh, in, in golf. And, and Dr. Kearns, we're going to start you off on the second. And, Brett, of course, I'm going to have you jump in. We're now going to talk mm-hmm. about um, can the mobility problems that we face from time to time, can they be solved uh, through exercise or what do we need to do? So, uh, Dr. Kearns, why don't you start us off that? If I've got some mobility problems, can I just sort of exercise them away alone or, or do I need to do something else? I mean, that's a great question. It, it it takes a lot of work. Um, you know, I always give my patients homework um, whenever they come in to address mobility issues, and, and mobility is generally the biggest thing I'm working on. And it can be it can be fixed. Um, the toughest part is accurate diagnosis of it, though. Um, if you don't know what to fix, you can't just kind of go in and shotgun it and hope something sticks. So. You know, there's not just uh, everybody's different. Everybody has different muscle imbalances that have gotten them to that point in, to begin with. Um, you know, I, I bring up baseball too. They're going to present differently mm-hmm. than a golfer would. And growing up too, through your adolescence, what sports you've played is going to also play a role in that. Um, you know, the biggest thing I stress to my patients is just move. I don't care what you're doing, just move you sit at a desk all day and it's not that sitting's bad for you it's that the lack of movement is what really becomes bad for you you know they'll sit in front of their desk for eight hours only getting up to go to the bathroom you know that's right that's tough and then they think maybe an hour of yoga a night is going to offset eight hours of sitting it's just not it's you have to do something you have to be active there are certainly many stretches people have done you can go onto YouTube and find anything with the foam rollers or stretching and active assisted stretching, stuff like that, that will certainly help your mobility. But I really think that the biggest thing to is first identification of what's what your problem area is. And like Brett has talked about too, um, you can do exercises to strengthen that by creating strength in a joint that might be weak. You will help the other segments above and below. Mm-hmm. Talk about, um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, the mobility dysfunctions. There's obviously a couple of categories. Talk about the categories, and then, Brett, I want you to jump in as well. Um, what are the differences, and, and what are some of the things that, that we might find in, in under these categories? Uh, sure. That that's, for, that's for Dr. Yeah. Kearns. I'm sorry, yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you repeat the question for me? Um, mobility dysfunctions can be separated into two main ca- categories. Talk a little bit about each of the categories that uh, and, and what's underneath them. Sure, you have the uh, you have the joint mobility dysfunctions, where um, you know that essentially is going to really be more of the the arthritic type type of conditions that you're going to have the joint capsule. Um, you know what we also refer to as joint sub- subluxations or or joint fusions. You know, if you look at Tiger where he now has that joint fusion, you can do all the amount of exercise in the world. You're not going to unfuse that joint. He's He has lost mobility there. Um, so that's something that I were as a chiropractor, I probably am most familiar with. Um, and that is really where, that, you know, that's my bread and butter. So that's where you're working with arthritic conditions and you're just trying to basically gain some of the mobility back in there. And that Arthritis is a very umbrella term. Um, it always starts at, you know, end stage is when you have bone spurs, stuff like that, um, that everybody hears. Right. 
um, but it really starts in the soft tissue. Um, if the body lacks that movement and doesn't use, go through the full range of motion as it should, the body will eventually just start to naturally kind of fuse the joint. It, it is kind of a use it or lose it situation, and they'll end up with an even bigger loss of mobility that you can't always fix. You know, if there is a bone spur that's preventing you from flexing your hip, you can't always fix that because it's an arthritic, you know, bony uh, bony block. You know, you, you sometimes have to go in and surgically uh, decompress that. Now, as right. far as the other one, uh, tissue, there's also something called a tissue extensibility dysfunction. Um, now, this is something called where you're more so dealing with muscle flexibility problems, fascial restrictions, trigger points, scars. Um, and this is another big part of what me and Brett work uh, together with. Um, is big thing is dealing with fascia. Um, so fascia is actually kind of like a, a membrane that surrounds all of all of your muscles. And this really helps actually what they're finding in the latest research is to help um, transfer energy throughout muscles. Now, mm-hmm. repetitive motion and trauma can actually cause fascial restrictions and little adhesions within, the, within that fascia, which will allow the muscles to not glide appropriately. So they won't be able to go through their full range of motion. So that's where we use several techniques as far as exercise or some manual therapy massage type techniques where we try to loosen up and break up those, extent, those restrictions. Um, and Brett could probably talk about how he works with that with exercise. Right. And, and yeah, as a fitness professional, Brett, I, I know that you deal um, a lot with uh, the tissue extensibility dysfunctions and you have a lot of mm-hmm. great exercise strategies that you use. So talk, uh, let's walk through that a little bit and talk about some of the things that you're doing to address some of the issues that Dr. Kearns just talked about. Right. So that's what I come across every single day, and that's where everybody that I work with uh, begins. So my clientele typically in the same age range that, that Thomas mentioned, his for uh, 45 to 65 and even up uh, males who definitely need help with mobility. And they're all locked in a chair all day long. They all have the same postural issues. Just they manifest slightly different from each other, but they have to start in the same place. So that place is by teaching them uh, a process known as self-myofascial release or rolling, body rolling. And that's where we use uh, objects like rollers and massage sticks and different types of balls, different size balls, to help um, manipulate this soft tissue and try to break up the adhesions and the scarring and the trigger points to create more extensive and healthy um, and flexible tissue. Um, Oftentimes I'll get reports from someone that has never done it before. Uh, They'll come back and say, oh, I did that rolling thing three times this week and I feel so much better. They've never experienced Mm -hmm. that sensation before of feeling more free to move. Uh, So that's the first step. The second step is learning how to stretch what they just rolled or isolated or targeted stretches that are going to uh, target the specific area that needs to be lengthened. Uh, Static stretching could be a great tool for developing mobility, but after rolling. So it's rolling first, then stretching. And then the third step is to provide some gentle movement to the joint that needs to be moved. So joint mobility drills that target the problem area with motion 
and we're going to target the, the ankles and the hips and the thoracic spine and the shoulder joint and uh, the wrist and even the upper cervical spine with some head turns uh, as well. And then I'll often add on what I call uh, three-dimensional or um, uh, dynamic stretches, which is now taking the body in and out of a movement pattern repetitively that uh, requires you to stabilize multiple joints while you're moving. So it requires flexibility, mobility, stability, balance, and strength at the same time. Uh, so I add one of those layers on top of the other to help create a more flexible and mobile body with exercise. You know, yeah, and, and you know, Brett and, and Dr. Kearns, you, you both really touched on um, sort of a commonality with a lot of things. You know, many of the people that you're working with um, obviously fall into the same age category, but uh, similar circumstances. Uh, again, in today's um you know, sort of fast-paced world, if you will, um, we're utilizing a lot less of our physical body and using more of our brain power uh, to do some of the day-to-day functions that we do. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, dysfunction, if you will, um, in the average person. So, um, Brett, before I get you to go to your sort of bottom line and and wrap this up, Mm. um, I I want each of you to maybe talk a little bit about – what you're seeing as a general rule out there, um, I know you've touched a little bit about it, but what, what you're seeing out there um, with some of the people, Brett, that you're working with, and then obviously, Dr. Kern, some of the people that you're coming in, what are some of the common uh, areas that you're, you're seeing? And, and let's, again, we'll try to relate it to golf as, as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Brett, you uh, go first. Yeah, so some of the common areas, and, and I know Dr. Kearns would uh, – agree is we're seeing limitations at the ankle. The major three joints are going to be the ankle, the hip, and the thoracic spine. Uh, those are critical joints in relation to the golf swing. Uh, and, and him and I share uh, a client patient, a uh, client of mine that I work with. Um, using those strategies I just spoke of was not making progress as rapidly as I would like to see. So I needed to refer out, right. and that's part of the the title is, uh, formula is to, to work with a team. I knew that he needed more help and guidance, and I couldn't see beyond what my tools allow me to see. So Dr. Kern uh, took over, and I would love for him to share that part of his experience with, with the audience, the listening audience as well. Sure. Uh, Dr. Kern, yes. please. Yeah, sure. Um, the The patient specifically, you know, uh, that Brett was referring to, it's actually a quite an interesting case. I mean, he, years ago, I think maybe 20 years ago, he ended up with a, a bad skiing accident. And we talked about trauma earlier mm-hmm. in the show. And, you know, I, t- I, I took x-rays right in the office and I saw right away he had tons of arthritis in his lower back. And that's where we kind of go back to the, the joint dysfunction and the joint mobility issues he had bone spurs that he wasn't going to get all of the motion that, uh, you know, a 22-year-old would get. It's just not possible. Um, so what we have right. to do is I, I then have to train his body to adapt to uh, absorb the load that we're going to be placed on the new joint. So one of the big places I ended up working on with him was his hips. His hips were going to be the the real big 
uh, he was going to get the most impact with working on his hip mobility. Um, his hips were still in pretty good condition. So what I had to do was train his muscle, uh, his his hip muscles and hip joints to go into a, a bigger range of motion while still maintaining good form and, and adapting. Um, so that's something that I see quite often. I, I see a lot of times in the lower back. It, it's probably the biggest thing I see is, is lower back pain. And what I end up having to do is work on the hips just to either open up their hips so they have a little bit more range of motion. Um, and so they're not compensating and relying as much on stability within the, the lower back. Um, and that usually makes a pretty big difference. And then I often refer to Brett um, when I need them to do exercises that are going to help them move and help with the sequencing and putting it all together. That's where he, he's invaluable. Yeah, and I think it's important, and I, and I want to just sort of, you know, tie this into, you know, why I wanted to have uh, Brett. I know this is one of many uh, great discussions that we're going to have throughout the year, and, and, and again, we're going to let the folks know here in just, in just a little bit where they can go, and, and obviously we can't cover everything here on, on even an hour. There's just too much information, so we're going to redirect them to uh, a, a website that they can go and actually um, see what we're talking about here in its entirety. You, you put together a great uh, uh, article. It's actually a two-part article, and uh, we're going to let them read that, but one of the reasons why I want to talk this, and I know some of the, the listeners might be thinking, well, why, why are we talking about all this? What has this got to do with my golf game? And, and the truth of the matter is that I see as an instructor, as a golf instructor, a lot of times I see right away and I can tell. I may not you know, have the medical training and, and, and that, but I can, I can tell by when somebody gets into um, their ready position, I can tell if their posture is bad because of how they address the golf ball they're slumped over and we talked about again i talked about this earlier in the show tonight um or they're leaning a certain way because they're compensating for maybe an injury or or a a discomfort uh, or dysfunction that they're they're currently experiencing so i wanted to to give an opportunity for people to hear both from the fitness side of things but also from the medical side of things how important it is that we make sure our bodies our functioning and our mobility is 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 working properly because if you want to get out and enjoy your golf game guys um but you're you know you're sort of limping along or you're harboring uh you know injuries that you've been carrying for for many many years as as you described this patient you were talking about a moment ago um you know until you address those issues they're just going to continue to compound and ultimately you're going to have more issues that are going to be added on to your original issue because you're not dealing with it and obviously the body has to adapt and make changes. So um, this is the reason, guys, why I wanted to do this uh, topic tonight and, and, and Brett, have you come on and, and Dr. Kern. So Brett, let's just sort of wrap it up a little bit. Just talk about your the bottom mm-hmm. line, what, what people need to understand with this tonight's discussion and then we'll, we'll give them the information okay. where they can go and learn more. Okay. So here's here's my bottom line. Bottom line is the opening I mentioned that mobility really means movement. And life is movement. Things that don't move are not alive. Movement is going to be the basic currency of health, of fitness, and performance. Great movement produces pain-free, high-level performance. Poor movement promotes pain and dysfunction. So if you want to move better, feel better, and play golf better, you need to improve your mobility. Right, right, exactly. 
And and obviously there comes a point in time where, as you just pointed out, Brett, you know, certain exercises will will help and will alleviate that. But sometimes you need to bring in uh, a medical professional, a chiropractor, in the case of Dr. Kearns, um, to mm-hmm. take it that next step. So, um, Dr. Kearns, maybe just touch a little bit about that again so that people understand that you're somebody that can help them through some of these issues um, so that they can go back and work with uh, a person like Brett to be able to um, get out there and enjoy some great golf. So talk a little bit about that, what you can do to help them, and and then Brett will will let everybody know where they can go and get more information. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty simple as far as my my role is concerned is generally, you know, Golf is is a leisure sport, and it's tough for people to enjoy themselves when after every shot or every step they're complaining of pain or they're dealing with some sort of pain. Um, So my whole objective is to get them out of that pain. And if you can... Mm If I can have a patient play 18 holes without having neck pain that they've had for, you know, 10 years, the last 10 years, that's that's very rewarding for me as as a a medical professional. Um, That's really what I I look for is they can get back to doing the activities that they enjoy pain-free. And then when you want that performance enhancement, um, because you want to, you know, everybody's a little competitive, um, uh, that's when you can get in to see Brett and tie the whole two things together. Um, but my my biggest thing is really just helping people play play golf to enjoy it more, play it pain free, get out get out and have some more rounds, and you know hit a couple more balls at the driving range. Right, exactly. And uh, again, we can't emphasize enough that the importance of of how mobility plays a, a, a key role in, in obviously uh, our golf games. And when that mobility becomes hampered for whatever reason, whether it's a temporary uh, issue that can be addressed re- relatively quickly through some of the, the steps that Brett talked about a moment ago, or whether um, you need to, to seek uh, a little bit, um, you know, further uh, um, dealings with, with somebody such as Dr. Kearns, then, you know, those are things that are, are going to ultimately, again, help you long-term. So we want to make sure we do that. So Brett, um, as I said, we, we sort of just touched on a few things. I tried to get as much in as I could, and I know we probably yeah. skipped over a little bit or, or brushed through some things, but obviously we're limited with time. So where can the folks go? You've, you've put together a great article. I've read it all, and I think it's fantastic. And uh, where can they go to uh, to read it in its entirety and, and learn a little bit more about what we're talking about tonight? Sure. Uh, the website is www.nygolffitnessguru.com. And if they go to the blog tab, they'll see the two-part article that we just uh, went over in the show. It's just a little bit more detail there with some great pictures to demonstrate and illustrate some of what we're talking about and make it a little more digestible. Uh, it's a part one, part two blog. And the title is Meaningful Mobility, the Key to Unlocking the Power in Your Golf Swing. Yeah, and we all want more power, but uh, we have to be in – in, in good shape and good physical health to be able to do that and obviously have uh, mobility. Um, let the folks know as well, Brett, um, if they want to learn more from you, how they can reach out, if they want to work with you, uh, and also, uh, Dr. Kearns, how they can connect with you. If maybe they have uh, issues that, that need your attention uh, and they happen to be up in the New York area, um, I know a lot of information can be uh, 
you know, gotten online, but sometimes you need to speak with a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can they reach out to you as well? So, Brett, go ahead. You start off, and then and then Dr. Kearns. Yeah, it'll be the the same website, nygolffitnessguru.com, and it has my phone number, my email address, and all my social media contacts, uh, and and uh, location and business hours. And when I'm working with a golfer, if someone comes to me that already has pain, they do not work with me until they're out of pain. So I refer them straight away to Dr. Kearns. And if then we're working together and I see that we're not making the kind of progress I'd like to see based on previous injuries, like the the, mm-hmm. the uh, client we were just discussing, uh, then I have to send him to Dr. Kearns because he's the big guns and he's got to do what he needs to do and send them back to me. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and I think that's important. And I, and I just want to add to you very quickly is, you know, I, I like the fact that the two of you have sort of partnered up um, because Brett, you know, as we've talked about before, you play a, a very crucial role uh, in, in, in a golfer's health in, in getting them, you know, fit and ready to go out and play. But sometimes, you know, those nagging injuries can be a, a little bit more, uh, in depth and need to be addressed by uh, you know a medical health professional and and obviously sure. you know yeah. you found somebody and I and I strongly urge to some of my fe- fellow golf pros out there um, that this is a, a great setup here that that Brett and, and Dr. Kearns have have put together so obviously if you're up in the area you may want to reach out to them and say hey I've got some students that I'm you know uh, teaching here that maybe could uh, you know use some some fitness help. Uh, and some of them I know have some injuries and, and, you know, maybe you can uh, both uh, help them out. But um, this is something that I recommend all golf professionals out there that are working, uh, you know, to, to improve their students. Sometimes there's things that are out of our wheelhouse and we need to go to uh, another professional such as Brett and, and Dr. Kern. So, um, guys, thank you for, for uh, putting together a great, uh, a great segment. I enjoyed it very much and, and uh, I, I want the listeners to, to follow up after the show um, not only directly, but uh, to go to uh, nygolffitnessguru.com uh, to the blog tab and uh, and check out the article in its entirety. Thank you very much, guys. For you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. All right, appreciate it, Brett. Until next time, and, and uh, Dr. Kearns, thank you very much as well for for joining me here on Golf Talk Live. It's been interesting, and and I'm. Uh, I've got a few aches and pains here. I'm going to do a little research, and I, I may have to reach out to you myself. I may have to come up to New York, but um, we'll see what happens. But uh, great job, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks very Thanks much. It's been me. a pleasure. Thanks for having okay. me. All right. Good night. Tom. All right. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. All right. That was my very special guest uh, on Golf Talk Live, uh, Brett Cohen, the uh, golf fitness instructor and Fitness Over 50 Authority and founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. And, of course, Dr. Thomas Kern, uh, chiropractor with Exxon Health Associates uh, up in New York area. So um, great article. Go to nygolffitnessguru.com uh, NY to uh, read the article that we talked about tonight. Actually, it's a two-part article uh, on uh, Brett's blog, and you'll get all the information that you need uh, and what we were talking about tonight. And, and, and you know, as I was trying to, you know, emphasize here, it's not all about just trying to hit the perfect shot and, and execute the, the perfect putt. There's a lot of components that go into being a, a good golfer, whether you have aspirations of, of playing competitive golf or whether you're just out there with your, your weekend warriors and want to improve your golf game. If you're not physically um, in, in good health, 
if you've got aches and pains or um, some of the issues that they talked about tonight, by all means, reach out to professionals like uh, Brett and, and Dr. Kearns. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're not up in the New York area, obviously it may not be convenient. So, um, you know, ask your golf professional that you're working with, uh, you know, if they know somebody in the golf fitness side of things that can maybe help you work through some of these. And if they're maybe working uh, with a, a, a referral program or something with a, a local chiropractor that um, can help you with some of these issues. So uh, by all means, um, today is a, is a new day in, in the golf industry. It's not just about hitting uh, a bunch of balls on the golf range and playing a bunch of rounds of golf. There's so many things. Uh, these types of things that we're talking about here have been available to the pros. For, so if you want to be more like a pro, here's the way to do it. Because the pros, I guarantee you, are doing many things that we talked about tonight and working with professionals. So here's an opportunity for you um, weekend amateurs that want to uh, get some help with your golf game. It's not just about golf instruction. It's also about making sure that your body's in condition and, and, and preparedness to be able to play your best golf. So rather than spending thousands of dollars on new equipment, hoping to buy a better game, why don't you maybe get in touch with somebody like Brett uh, or Dr. Kearns, as I said, um, in your area and see if, um, they can help you with some of the physical sides of the game that, that need help with. Well, guys, uh, it's been another great show. I enjoyed uh, my discussion earlier with, with Monty Scheinbloom. Uh, thank you, Monty, for, for joining me. And, uh, again, thank you for Brett uh, Cohen and Dr. Uh, Thomas Kern for joining me on the second half of the show. And I will be back next week with a, a great guest. Of course, next week is Masters Week. And uh, I've got a very interesting guest that's going to be joining me next Thursday night. Of course, we'll start the show off uh, with the Coach's Corner panel. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. And, uh, and then we'll have some discussion as we uh, continue on this journey in the 2018 season. Uh, lots of great information uh, that's going to be presented over the next little while. And next Tuesday on the Women of Golf Show, or of course, uh, Cindy will be uh, coming back, and we're going to be uh, talking with uh, a great gentleman from the Symmetra Tour. He's in the media and public relations uh, official, and he's going to be joining us, uh, Zach uh, Sapanik, and uh, he's going to be bringing a great uh, young lady from the Symmetra Tour uh, joining him as well. And we're going to be having some great uh, discussions throughout the season with many, many uh, of the winners uh, from this season and uh, from previous years. Uh, on the Symmetra Tour, going to be joining us again uh, this season on the Women of Golf Show. So make sure you tune in to blogtalkradio.com next Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. And on that note, guys, have a great weekend. Thank you always uh, for your continued support of the show. I appreciate it very much, and I will continue to endeavor and do my best to bring you some great uh, guests on the show and uh, have some great panel discussions as well on the Coach's Corner panel. So until then, thank you, everybody. God bless. And I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live.